This is Rugga Matrix America. Hey, welcome to the show, everybody. This is Alex Goff, editor-in-chief of RugbyMag.com. We've got Pat Clifton and Bruce McLean with us, and a great guest this week where we have USA Sevens National Team Captain Matt Hawkins on the show with us. But before we get to Matt, uh, Pat, how's it going? You've been uh, traveling around. We're going to see you go to Denver 7. So, um, and, and actually, we're actually going to hear you because I think you're going to be doing some uh, webcast stuff. So it should be fun. Yeah, I, uh, looking forward to taking another crack at the webcast. My last my last outing was not so great, so I'm looking forward to trying to improve on that. And, what, uh, what did you do wrong? I, th- I Well, first off, I didn't realize the mic was still on at halftime, and I let go some four-letter words and probably... <laughs> I got a couple texts from people around the country that were watching to letting me know that what I was saying was going out over the airwaves. So that was probably my biggest mistake. And I was also on top of a scaffolding that I'm not so sure was the most sound in structure ever. So I was scared for my life most of the time, too. So that, that probably didn't help the performance. So those are two things. First, always assume it's a hot mic and protect yourself at all times. Yeah, I did. I, I, I was. I've. You never seen me so scared in my life as I was, uh, just like fifteen feet off the ground. It was ridiculous. Okay, I was on the scaffolding in in uh, Moraga, California, which was a little bit dodgy, um, being that I there were three of us and the other two people. I don't think weighed as much as I weigh. You know, for the two of them combined. So every time I moved, the thing just started shaking. Oh yeah, if I breathe heavily, Gershon Blaze was up there with me and uh, some other life character, but it was. Um, it was definitely very, very scary. Bruce, you stay away from those uh, from those scissor lists, don't you? Well, there's a lot of potential energy up there for people who know anything about physics. If Pat is on top of a scaffolding, but um, yeah, I'm not a big. Uh, I don't climb up scaffolds. I'm not Bear Bryant. <laughs> okay. Well, we are all safely on terra firma at the moment uh we have for our guests we're very happy to have matt hawkins with us on the show and matt welcome to the show thank you uh glad i'm here and uh yeah looking forward to having a chat well first of all you're right in the middle of something uh, the 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 us seven season is over the you get your short layoff but but you're you're busy you're right into this uh Cerevi high performance camp so tell me a little bit about that and 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 how that's shaping up yeah, I think uh, work never stops outside of the seven stuff. Um, you know, sure, we've got a lot of stuff going on, and it's uh, pretty exciting. But um, this is definitely sort of the highlight for me during the year, this high-performance camp. We get a lot of youngsters who obviously have a lot of potential and a lot of young guys that, uh, you know, want to sort of exceed everybody's expectations, you know, and show off their talents. So it's it's a lot of fun, and we get to, you know, put together a, a great group of coaches and, uh, you know, spend a week together and uh, do, do some rugby. It's, it, it's an interesting concept it's it's not a new concept really but there's so many camps out there and, and and a lot of really good camps but most of them are geared toward young people and just getting them a little bit better in rugby uh this is for people who are seriously thinking about you know national team higher honors professional rugby things like that Yes, it's definitely, I think, you know, for, for specifically the Surevi programming, it's 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 our pinnacle, right? And we have a high school women's and a college women's and then obviously the men's uh, high performance uh, camp. So we have three opportunities for people to come through. And basically, yeah, it's an opportunity to spend some time with some of the best coaches out there, uh, some of the best rugby minds, but also, you know, to get a glimpse into what it actually looks like once you get to that top level you know we have uh usoc nutritionists that work with us we have usoc uh mental skills coaches that work with us uh we work with um a lot of great strength conditioning coaches uh the facilities are top notch in athletes performance and also in the olympic training center so it just gives everyone sort of a, a little insight into what that next level looks like and uh you know, just for some kids, it's uh, it's one of those things. It's like, wow, you know, that's fantastic. You know, I want more of this, and uh, it gives them a little bit more drive to get to that level. And for others, it's it's you know that don't know that that's what it's all about, and that is the next level. It's uh, it's an introduction to that, and for them, it just inspires them even more. So, uh, it's a great opportunity. All right, excellent. Well, you have. Uh, you know, you're bringing to this camp, among other things, your experience uh, playing with the U.S. Sevens team. And obviously, you just finished the season with them, finished it up with the uh, Rugby World Cup Sevens in Moscow, Russia. And um, it, was, it was interesting because the 
in the end, the results were kind of the same as happened four years ago when you were in Dubai and, and, and Matt, you were on that team as well, in that there were uh, there was an early game that the Eagles could have won, perhaps should have won, that kind of undercut uh, the, the pool play experience. There was a win against Georgia, and then um, you go into the knockout rounds and you're kind of done. Um, was it a disappointing uh, World Cup for you guys? Did you, you um, considering you were you lost to Canada by a point and you were so close to beating New Zealand um, in the end that final day was it sort of a letdown? Yeah, I mean, I think it was really disappointing. I think it was also really, really frustrating. And and I think at the end of the day, we you know we let ourselves down. You know, I think if if you look at the World Cup as a whole, that was that was kind of our season as a whole. To be honest, uh, you look at the first seven minutes that we played against Georgia. And then you look at the first, you know, let's say 10 minutes or not even, let's say the first eight minutes, uh, nine minutes versus New Zealand. That's the rugby we can play and that's the rugby we want to play. You know, we can play really good rugby and, and great attacking rugby. We can play great defense um, and and we can do that. You know, I think Georgia it was 26-5 in that first seven minutes and against New Zealand up until, you know, sort of uh, – eight or nine minutes we were um 19-5 up you know and that's that's the rugby we can play you know and um I think from us it was just we never ever put a full game together the Canada game you know we just weren't we weren't playing we weren't ourselves you know we we did well to sort of stay in the game but uh definitely you know we didn't we didn't play the game we should have played in that game so very very frustrating you know to look back and and sort of see it and say you know what if we if we really put our heads down and and did the little things correctly, we could have actually ended up three and zero in pool play. And you know, at that point, going into the third day, um, mentally and physically as a player, it's, you're in a much better place because that night you're sitting there going, "Okay, I've essentially you know done half the job. I've got through the quarterfinals. Now, kind of anything's possible." Um, whereas you know, sitting where we sat going into that final day, I think unfortunately for a lot of guys, it had just been a really, really long season, and you know they looked at it as just another long day, you know, another long day where we had to put, you know, basically three wins back to back. And uh, if we didn't, you know, that, you know, you saw what happened. So that's where we found ourselves, unfortunately. And a reminder that your long season started in August with the, the NACRA qualifications for the World Cup. So August through, yep. to, through to the end of June. Um, so, yeah, it is a long season. Yeah, yeah. Matt, have you found yourself in the weeks after looking at that New Zealand game and, you know, seeing highlights or watching the USA Rugby Rising, which are great TV series that they've been putting together? Um, have you have you found yourself thinking about that game over and over again, kind of just how, how nice it would have been to have knocked those guys off? Um, I think for me personally, Pat, I'm not a I'm not a big one that likes to like watch them, to be honest, uh, because I know I mean, I can play through in my head exactly what happened when it happened how it happened and generally speaking at some point during the day I think about it so um, I don't even need to look at the film Um, it's just for me it's really really frustrating and um, you know it's just one of those things where uh, you know we can do it you know we proved it in London when we beat South Africa you know twice in in one tournament you know we can put those games together I mean I think the second game won 22-7 or something like that so you know, it's just it's just really frustrating from my side of things. Uh, really, really frustrating. And and the the worst part about it is for some of those guys, you know, they're probably never going to play in a World Cup again. You know, and that was the opportunity to do something special, not only for themselves but also sort of leave their mark in the U.S. program. You know, um, and you know we missed out on that. So disappointing. Matt, you've been obviously you're the the elder statesman on the team, um, and you've been around for quite a while. And I think that when we we see some people, whether they're guys that comment or guys that we talk to, um, kind of have the, the way the spring went with some a lot of positivity there towards the end. And and you're talking about making more cup quarterfinals than the team has ever made before. Um, and the, 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 the famous wins over South Africa and almost knocking off New Zealand. Um, in your time, can you honestly say that they look at it and say that this, we're getting better, we're getting closer, the gap is closing. Do you yeah. feel like the program at this point, the gap is truly closing over the time you've been there, that that we're we're in a better spot as as a, an American 17 than we were, you know, when you started playing? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've seen the whole evolution, right? When I joined the program way back when, you know, we weren't even a core team at that point, you know. And over time, we've we've built our way to where we are now. And I definitely think, um, you know, this last 12 months has seen us, you know, definitely progress. Um, you know, you got to start to look at, too, when we got contracted as a group, um, you know, you're never going to see an immediate impact of that, you know, because guys are still getting used to being, sort of rugby players Monday to Friday, you know, because a lot of guys weren't that for a long time. So they were getting used to that. Us as a program as a whole, the coaches, the administrators, all the USOC resources were getting used to us and we were trying to sort of feel out what what this program looks like, what it's supposed to look like, what we should be doing day to day, what we should be doing each day. And um, that's sort of, I think, you know, that those are things that are starting to work themselves out now. And towards the end of the year, or towards the end of the season, that's what you started to see in the program is you started to see the fact that a lot of things were starting to make sense um, down at the OTC and they were coming to fruition, you know, out on the field in the tournaments. Um, so I definitely think we're in a much better place. I definitely think we're taking strides forward. But at the same time, it's not going to happen overnight, right? Um, but we are knocking off the teams when we do need to knock them off. We are, you know capable of winning those three games on the second day which is what we need to be doing um and we were really really close to making you know the odd cup semi-final here and there which you know could have changed things so i think um you know i i do still believe that this year we we could have and should have done better in the series and at the world cup um but uh i think for the guys they've laid a platform that they now can launch from and i think that's that's the biggest key for me going to this next season is that the guys have to launch from where we left off versus sort of going back to square one and trying to start again. Cause if we do that, um, you know, we're going to sit, you know, for the first six months trying to figure it all out again. Matt, Speaking of next season, gonna... oh, I was just going to ask you, are you going to give it a go again? Can we see Matt Hawkins in a USA sevens Jersey again? Uh, my plan is to go nowhere until uh, someone tells me to go elsewhere. Um, you know, I took six months off. Uh, I needed to take six months off after, after Vegas last year. I just needed a break from the program. Um, you know, it just had been a really, really long time and I needed to put some some more focus on my family and uh, my work with Serevi and so I did that and, you know, after sort of six months, Mags and I chatted and it made sense to come back. So, um, yeah, I want to keep playing and obviously, you know, look to get better as, as, as myself as a player um, and just continue to challenge myself and hopefully, um, you know, leave, you know, the same way Mags did, leave, leave the program in a better place when I do leave. Matt, what things came together? You know, you said that things came together when guys started to get an understanding of things at the OTC. What specifically was it that necessarily came together? What specifically was it that made you better? What you know, what that's a pretty vague statement, and I just wanted to put a little bit of uh, color and clarity on it. Yeah, so I mean, clarity is is obviously in in a team dynamic is always hard to identify. Um, but if I had to really look at certain pointers, I think uh, Mags is a coach. Um, you know, he obviously came in and he had been away from the World Series for a little bit. Um, he hadn't really been in an environment where he had been coaching at the level that we were coaching at. You know, on a day to day basis, I would say. Um, so I think he, as a coach, you know, had to find his feet, and then once he found his feet, had to sort of develop a program that suited the athletes that were down at the OTC. Um, so I think you saw that. And I think he definitely, I mean, he found his feet and, you know, he was, he was on a great run, um, and doing some good things. So I think that, you know, that was one, I think another one was, you know, you've got, as I explained, a group of guys that, you know, being sort of, if you want to call it part-time rugby players for, for quite a long time, then going to this professional program where they contracted and essentially they're doing rugby day to day. You know, when they, I think for a lot of guys, when they sign their contract to say, hey, yes, I want to be a USA Sevens player and uh, this is what I want to do all day, every day, um, I think they don't also realize that essentially they, they, they're signing an employment agreement, right? And now they're employees and their job is to turn up and, and participate and perform when they need to perform, you know? Um, like any of us that work in the working world, that's basically the way it works. Um, and so... We were playing good rugby and we were getting to the point where we could play great rugby, which is essentially what you need to do on the World Series, um, but just couldn't find sort of that final piece, I think, for you know most of the season. 
Um, and then once you got to the end and, you know, we sort of had that, uh, that relegation hovering above us, I think you, a lot of the guys started to understand, you know what, like this, this is it. And, you know, all the nonsense that I have going on off the field, whether it be with family, um, you know, with friends, with teammates, whatever it was, the second I cross that white line and I'm playing, like nothing else matters, just what happens over the next 14 minutes. Um, and I think that's when guys started to really mature and understand what it took to sort of be that professional athlete. Um, so I think that was also one of the big pieces. And I think as a whole, um, you know, sort of the third, third sort of piece to everything is just, I think as a team, we understood what Mags wanted us to do. I think um, for a while, we didn't quite get exactly what he was looking for and how we were supposed to execute it. And then as far as sort of individuals within the team, you know, on the seventh team, there's just certain guys that have, you have a role, right? Um, I'm not Colin Isles and I'm not going to run around the outside of anyone. Uh, my role is very different to him as it is for many others. You know, we've got certain guys like a Colin Hawley, who's an aerialist and that's his strength and that's what he's in the team for. And that's his role. And it fits in with, the rest of the pieces of the puzzle that make up, you know, whether it be the starting seven or the final seven in the last minute. Um, and so I think those three pieces kind of were, were the, the base of everything. Um, but, you know, to, to create, you know, real clarity, it's always tough in a team environment. But from my perspective, you know, I think those are the three pieces that started to make sense and started to s sort of sit and be in place when we needed to have them in place. If you could ask, I want to follow up with that. What specifically did Mags change from, say, being the Dartmouth coach to being the USA coach that while, you know, his initial, you know, Mags shows up his first day and then, you know, a few months in, what did he change to make himself the coach that you said he was? And then secondly, what types of things did you guys do? I guess you would do it mostly with the mental skills coaches at the OTC to get yourself to play in the present and just focus on, you know, your next job and the four, you know, just the series of tasks within the 14 minutes that the game is going on. Cause that's kind of the key to having success and not losing your focus and thinking about the past or the future is only 14 minutes, just play them all and then worry about it after well, I think, um, you know, on the first point with Mags, I think it's it's tough for me to really say because uh, I wasn't there when he took over initially. You know, I think it was in the March. Um, you know, once I got there, I think he he had got his feet wet pretty well. Um, and at that point, I, I don't I don't think it was much of him changing. I just think, you know, there was a really different coaching style between him and our previous coach. And I think also, you know, at Dartmouth, he's talking to a certain group of people. And with us, he's talking to a very different group of people, you know. And also what we can do versus, you know, sort of a college team can do is also really, really different. So I think that's what it was. You know, it was him sort of identifying what the guys could do and what he could expect from us. But then also the way he sort of put that across to us as far as what he expected and how he expected it done. Um, I think that's, those are the sort of the, the biggest things that changed for him and changed for us. Um, and then as far as the mental schools part, you know, we've got a guy, Peter Hebel that works with us and he, you know, he's been part of the, the USSC for a very long time now and he's done exceptional work with us. Um, and, you know, a lot of that work is stuff that unfortunately, you know, he can work as hard as he wants, but unless we actually take it in, and use it or do it, um, it's, it's not really that beneficial. And, and so I think what I'm trying to say is basically for a long time, the guys used the sessions, did the sessions, and it all did and, and had whatever it needed to have. But I think once we got to the, the sort of end part of the season there and there was all the pressure and the relegation, all these sorts of things, these guys really started to um, think about it and understand what role that mental piece played and then started to use it in the right manner. Um, and then, you know, once they got to the field, they were able to execute on what they needed to execute. But that was, you know, that was able to take place because they were focused on that. Um, and they also understood that there was a lot on the line. And if mentally, you know, and physically they weren't checked in when it was time to check in, um, you know, upon checkout at the end of the game, we were going to be in a bad place. And I think that's... Uh, that's a big part of it. You know, our season, the guys played with a hell of a lot of effort and heart all season. Um, but we didn't always play 
with the right sort of mental state. And uh, I think that's that's sort of what you saw when we did well, was mentally we, we knew what was going on and we executed it. Well, Matt, um, one of the one of the things that struck me, and it came from uh, Shalom Suniula, who writes a column for us at rugbymag.com, and, and he talked about the players um, getting up and talking to each other between Hong Kong and Japan that week and having having sort of a players-only meeting where players stood up and said things like, you know, I'm not going to miss any more tackles. Um, I'm not going to make any um, bad passes anymore. And it's one of those things where, you know, we, we've talked, I've talked to so many players who say things like that. They say it privately. They might even say it to be quoted, but to say it to your teammates, to stand up and look them in the eye and say, you know what, I missed that tackle in that game and I shouldn't have. I'm going to stop doing that. It was almost like, it was like a, like an intervention, uh, a cathartic thing where, where guys kind of started to identify the little individual things that they could do. And, and if each person improved one little individual thing that was a weakness, suddenly you've made a giant leap forward in the strength of the, the team as a whole. Yeah, no, absolutely. But it's also the same as, you know, as a job that you have. You know, let's say you're waiting on Pat to write a story and Pat tells you he's going to have it in at, uh, you know, 8 o'clock on Monday morning and you get it, you know, sort of Tuesday, Monday morning. I mean, Tuesday at 8 o'clock, right? It's the same sort of thing. You know, there's just certain things when you've got a job you need to come and you need to do what you need to do. And I think what happened was when we got to that point after Hong Kong, because after Hong Kong, it was kind of like, you know, do or die pretty much. And I think guys started to realize, well, hey, you know what? If I don't do what I'm supposed to do here, I'm not going to have a job, you know, come right. sort of uh, end of June. And I think that's that's what started to hit home. It started to become reality because I think, you know, at some point, you know, you've also got to realize that this whole sevens thing is still a bit of a dream for some guys. You know, this is still kind of a fantasy, you know. Um, and so, you know, I think it all started to hit home and just be like, wow, well, you know what, if I if I don't do that. If I don't do everything I can to make that tackle, if I don't do everything I can to make sure that I put someone away to score in the corner, hey, we could be in a really different place come 1st of July, you know? I might be packing my bags and going somewhere else and trying to find a job. So I think, um, you know, I think, yes, it was definitely uh, sort of a, you know, a really big moment in, in us as a team to sit and do that. Um, but I think more than that, you know, I can say a million things over and over again, whether it's to myself in private, to friends, to teammates, to you guys as quotes, but acting on that and actually being present to do that, you know, that's that's sort of where we took the step, you know. And I think in that we started to realize that we were only really scraping, um, you know, the surface of our potential. And it's up to us now to really realize our potential. And the only people that essentially at the end of the day are going to benefit from it are us, you know. So we need to do that and, you know, we need to do it for ourselves but also our teammates. All right. Well, we'll be right back. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, speaking of jobs and paying bills and things like that. And uh, we will be right back here with Matt Hawkins on Rugger Matrix America. Rugby fans, don't forget that the USA Sevens International Rugby Tournament is not that far off. I know it's the beginning of summer, but it's not too soon to start clearing your calendar for the biggest rugby party on U.S. soil. The USA Sevens will bring 16 of the best international teams to Las Vegas on January 24th to 26th. Yeah, it's two weeks earlier this time, and don't forget, there's also the Las Vegas Invitational. You're a rugby fan, and you're also a rugby player, and the LVI has competitive opportunities for Sevens, 15s, young, old, and in between. High level, or just here for the fun. It's all in Las Vegas. Everybody's here for the fun in Las Vegas. Go to usasevens.com for more. Okay, we're back on Rugby Matrix America. Uh, this is Alex Goff from RugbyMag.com. And don't forget to check out RugbyMag.com Premiere, where you can subscribe to Rugby Magazine, which you get every month. You can also do that on your iPad or Android device or pretty much any kind of electronic reader uh, possible. Uh, in addition, check out our YouTube channel, our much improved and more interesting YouTube channel, uh, on YouTube Rugby Magazine. Do a search for Rugby Magazine. You'll find it. Uh, we're back with uh, Matt Hawkins. And Matt, before uh, the other guys jump in for with more intelligent questions, um, more intelligent questions than I could come up with, um, we, we talked a little bit about the coaching and Alex Magleby and figuring it out. And there, there are certain things we, we saw on um, throughout the season 
Uh, we saw players get benched who had to sort of fight their way back to getting starting starting time. Um, we saw some some kind of some odd things on the field, uh, uh, such as and I I know and I think this is a good example of Magleby wanting to do something different and wanting say the USA attack to really engage tacklers and force tacklers to tackle them, and then we we watched games where it was it was almost a pick and jam when there was lots of room on the outside, um, and, and and start asking the coach well why were they doing that because well we're sort of learning i think that um as we watched over time we saw better decisions being made and a much more varied more fun team as a result um on the field in the middle of a game what is it like matt you as captain or even just any player when you feel like you guys aren't really doing, you know, running your pattern the way you should. You feel like you're not exploiting um, the what the, the opposition defense is giving you. If you feel like it's just not happening, what can you guys do right then in a 14-minute game? Can you do anything? Um, or is it really just if it starts badly, it, 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 it goes downhill? Um, no, I mean, look, 14 minutes, uh, generally speaking for a spectator happens really, really quickly. 14 minutes for us takes forever. Um, so basically, you know, you've got your set pieces, you've got your halftime and you've got, you know, every time there's a, a try scored. So, you know, and there's the kick of goal. Th those are your opportunities where you have to sort of go to certain people, have a chat, figure out what we need to do, what's not working. If it is working, continue to work it. You know, some guys may have seen something, some guys may not have seen something, so it's making them aware of it. So those are your opportunities to go and have a conversation and sort of chat about it. Um, and then, you know, from there, you've got to sort of work at it, you know. And, and I think, you know, when you talk about the different gameplays and the different decisions that were made, I think that was, you know, that was all part of sort of mags figuring out exactly what made sense and what worked and, and what, what game plan worked for what group of people and being able to manipulate that. Um, and, you know, as part of that, we also as players had to understand that. And it's not always it's not always that easy to understand as a player when you get benched for, you know, that reason, that that's the reason that you're being benched. Um, so I think that's, that's sort of what you saw. But there are definitely opportunities to have a conversation um, and sort of figure out exactly what's happening and where it's happening. And obviously, you know, we live, eat and breathe this all day and every day. So if I was to have a quick conversation about it, you know, generally speaking is a little bit easier than sort of uh, the common Joe soap on the, on the side of the street, you know, that's watching us um, because we, Hey, he's doing this. He's doing that. Look, we need to do this and do that. Okay, cool. And off we go, you know, so it's a real quick conversation. Matt, I have a, it's a two parter for you. One is with the coaching change being at the top of the mind here, how different say, and I don't mean to just use Al Caravelli and, and Alex Magleby specifically, um, but that's the way to frame the question, I guess, is is how different are the things that they're asking you to do on the field? And I don't mean coaching style, you know, the way they run practice and all these other things. I mean, like, you know, Al says, we only take rucks on the outside thirds of the field, whereas Alex Magleby says, no, we can take one on the inside third of the field. You know, Al says we we don't kick um, ever, and, and Alex says, well, we do kick, but in these situations, and I don't, those are just, you know, random examples um, and, and hypothetical examples, but how different was the playing style that say Al was asking you to play versus Alex is. And I mean that wondering if we get another coach in who has a different idea on how to do things, how big that transition will be. Well, I think, you know, you pointed it out. Obviously the change was pretty drastic, right? It was kind of like black and white. Um, and that's basically, that's interpreted by when the coach comes in, he's got to have a look at his players that he's got. He's got to assess what his players do, what they do well, what they don't do well, but also across the board, what they can do, you know? So if we had kickers, okay, we do have kickers. Well, what does that allow us to do? Is that something we can add to what we're trying to do as our, as our pattern? Or, hey, we've got guys, they can kick, but mm, they're not that great at kicking, so maybe let's, let's, let's stay away from that and we'll work on it. Um, you know, along with the kicking is obviously, do we have a good chase? Do we have good aerialists? You know, all those bits and pieces, a coach has to come in, has to have a look at, has to identify, and he's essentially got to do an analysis of the plays that he's got. Um, and I'm sort of of the, me as a coach, or me even as a player, I like to look at it and go, okay, well, these are the guys that we've got, and now I need to create a pattern 
that works best for them. It complements them and it complements their strengths. Every team in the world's got their their negatives, right? Um, and their weaknesses. It's just that's the way it goes. So you've got to understand those weaknesses. You've got to, you know, work at those, but you've got to really work at your strengths a lot more and focus on those and understand that those are the ones that are going to be able to get you, you know, further, you know, progression as far as where you want to be. Um, and so I think that's, you know, that's basically what you had, you know. I think um, Al was in in there and he had a certain system and basically he tried to get people to fit into that system. Mags was the other way around. He came in. He had people already there, so he assessed the people that were there and then came up with something that worked for those people. Um, that would be my sort of a, uh, assessment of it. Um, Mags is also a guy that liked to work with players, so he had a leadership team. There were six of us on the leadership team, and we would meet every Monday you know, and discuss things, go over practices, go over you know, if we had just been on tour, those sorts of things. And he wanted feedback. He wanted to know how the guys felt, were they comfortable, you know, because it's one thing asking someone to do something. It's another thing them feeling comfortable to do it um you know and uh with al that wasn't the case you know um he worked more with what he did and he would have maybe you know dave williams at that point he used to probably uh use uh dave's um a sounding board quite a bit and they used to come up with what they were looking for so you know definitely uh big differences and you know every coach has got their own sort of way that they do it and uh you know we, we're going to wait and see what happens next and that's what I said a two-parter. I was got too long-winded to get that second part out. But that's what I – and I don't ask to compare Al and Alex, but I asked just so we know kind of what the possible transition could be um, for the next coach. And what, if anything, can you do? Have you guys talked about this um, now having more time? I mean, this one's not going to come as much of a surprise as the last one. The last one kind of snuck up, I think, on everybody, the coaching change. Um, this one, you know, have, have the team talked about – we've taken these four ste- X amount of steps forward. How do we prevent ourselves from taking Y steps back and, and, and just making the transition a little bit smoother than last time? Well, I think, yeah, absolutely. We have discussed it. We've all talked about it. Um, you know, we are in constant communication now. We're all chatting. Um, and, you know, a lot of that has, has to do with the senior players. You know, a lot of that has to do with the guys, you know, that were on that leadership team, you know, making sure that everything sort of takes place and, and happens the way we need it to happen. I think, you know, you also had a situation when Max came in, you know, we were sort of towards the tail end of the series, you know, and he didn't really have t- have time at that point to sort of sit back and figure it all out, you know, whereas I think, at, at this point, um, you know, hopefully this, this decision sort of happens sooner rather than later. And whoever the coach is gets the opportunity to sort of reach out to the players, have conversations with them, you know, sort of get a feel for where things are at, you know, before he starts to sort of make really, really drastic changes. You know, um, that that would be the hope, I would think. Um, and and then from that, that aspect, you know, we as senior players can sort of say, hey, you know, this is what we've been doing. This is how we've been doing it. Um, you know, just see, you know, where we go from there. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, we have to work with what we get. And at the same time, he has to work with what he gets, you know. So the sooner we come together, the easier it becomes for everyone. What has worked and what hasn't worked? As far as what? obviously had, like you say, like, you know, you can't keep doing things the way you're doing them. Obviously, you're going to still get the same results because – the World Cup performance in Dubai and now has been similar and there's, you know, there's, there's been some inconsistencies. So what, what has worked and you'd like to see more of and what hasn't worked that's caused problems or, or losses or whatever that you would like to see less of? Tough that's question. Tough. Well, that's I a mean, tough question. That's, that's something that I, I, we'd have to take two hours of, you know? Um, I think, I think at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's, I've been around for a very long time. So, I mean, you can go from coaching staff, support staff, management staff, players, you know, just, just everything. Um, I think, I think the biggest thing, if you look at sort of during, um, our time with, uh, with, uh, Caravelli as a coach, um, you know, we made that final back in Australia and that was sort of the the best result we got as a, as a group under that coach. And I think the biggest thing, if you ask any one of those players, we were a team. Um, it didn't matter what was going on, where it was going on. When we hit the field, we did what we needed to do. We did what we were supposed to do as rugby players and as, you know, an international team. And I think, uh, 
it's the same thing, you know, this year when we had good results and we played well, it's the same, it's the same result. I think a coach has got to find a way to create consistency. Um, I think that's one of the biggest things that lacked, um, but create consistency, but also create guidelines that people have to stick to and understand. And then also just cut out sort of all the rubbish and the nonsense that surrounds us. Um, I think, you know, those three things are, are really, really key. Um, you know, it, it, to go into sort of tactics and, you know, nah, what I'm not you, asking about that. Yeah. You know, all those sorts of things. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a long winded, you know, answer that, but basically I think, you know, the, the biggest thing, if you see teams that, do well continuously like the South Africa team, like the New Zealand team, those guys, they, they're enjoying what they're doing and they love doing it, you know? And so there, there's a, there's a key piece there that is, that is willing them on. And I think, you know, uh, an example of that that's happened pretty recently is if you look at the British and Irish Lions tour, I mean, the British and Irish Lions did so well and did what they did because they, there was a great synergy on their team, you know. Those guys all were having a great time and they understand they were ha basically having the time of their life, you know. People would pay millions and millions of dollars to be sitting in their shoes. Um, and on the flip side, you know, Australia just, I mean, they got so much going on there, you know. It's just so much turmoil and there's no real guidance and there's, 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 there is absolutely no synergy there, you know. And I think that's, you know, when it comes to team sports and very specifically rugby, I think that's the biggest key, you know. If guys are all on the same page and, and they love what they're doing and they're enjoying what they're doing, you know, it doesn't matter what a coach asks you to do or what you face as a challenge as far as, you know, your opposition um, or what situation you find yourselves in with regards to relegation and things like that. You'll find a way to sort of band together and, and get the job done. I agree with the British and Irish Lions having a, a good vibe among the tour, but uh didn't hurt the Curtly Beal slip. Slipped on a kick and shanked the other one. So I'm not, you know, well, I mean, there, was, there was a little bit of luck that played in there. Yeah, but at the end of the make your own luck, you know. That's how it works. No, you know, I, you... I, I, I get the whole make your own luck thing, but that was uh, that was luck that they didn't make themselves. Um, that was just pure, unadulterated luck, um, in my mind. Now, Speaking of luck, I accidentally came out. I, I made a few bets on the Lions store, and I came out on the black on accident. There, which is kind of lucky. Well, that's good. Oh, I, I, I would have bet on the Lions in a heartbeat. I'm not saying I thought the Lions were a 50 times better team. They didn't play. They didn't play the rugby that they were capable of playing until the last test, because they played not to lose and instead of to win. And that's just the fact of the matter. And but the Lions team on paper, given the Australian injury situation, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, you look at, you know. That was they should have they should have blown through them three tests to none in very similar fashion that they did in the last test, but they didn't. We're going to take another quick break. We'll be right back here on Rugby Matrix America. Hey fans, go to RugbyImports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs. Whether you're kitting out your team with our American-made jerseys, stocking up on training supplies, or just getting a new pair of boots, Rugby Imports has all you need for on the field and off. Go to RugbyImports.com. And we're back here on Rugby Matrix America with Matt Hawkins. And, Matt, you were talking about uh, creating uh, uh, synergy as a team, but also you know, putting aside personal distractions and, and, and petty distractions to just take care of business and, and how that can make a team perform better. And I wonder... Do you feel, and, and you may not know, but I mean, the, the, the teams all mix on the tour. You guys know each other, you chat. Do you feel that there's more of that? There's more of an understanding of how to build a successful sevens team. And as a result, we saw more different teams make the cup quarterfinals, make the cup semifinals than ever before, apart from New Zealand, who is, the, I think, the only team to make the top four every single tournament. Um there were so many teams that would have – they might you – know, the, the great example was uh, England winning in Wellington and coming last in, in Las Vegas a week later. Um, so there were strug certainly struggles in terms of staying power, and I, and, I, and I guess my question there is, is that because of how physical the tour has come, become? But also even teams like Portugal and Spain and, and, and Wales and, and all these teams have suddenly become – a danger to make the top eight. Um, do you feel like more countries have sort of gotten it? They, they understand it now. 
Well, I think the biggest the biggest piece to it is a lot of countries, because of the whole Olympic movement and just the overall sort of growth of sevens as a whole, are being allowed the opportunity to be more consistent. And I think that's that's the biggest thing that you're saying is that teams are given the opportunity to be more consistent in what they're doing outside um, sort of of the World Series environment. But then also those teams like Spain, Portugal, you know, the teams that you mentioned, they're also now core teams, you know, so they they're able to create consistency on the series. So I think that's that's what you're starting to see, you know. Um, you look at, you know, for example, the Canadian team. I mean, they've, they've done a fantastic job over this last season, um, you know, from when they sort of qualified back in Hong Kong last year. But they've done that because, you know, their coaches created consistency and there's just a great vibe amongst them, you know, and, and that's that's how they've been able to do what they've been able to do, you know. So I think that's that's the biggest key to it is the a lot of those teams and, and a lot of teams just in general um, through the growth of sevens and, and the opportunity in sevens now have been, you know, given the opportunity to be uh, more full-time and more consistent. Hey, you brought it up, so that's why I'll dovetail off of it. But Canada, uh, Al Caravelli and, and, Al, and Alex Magley both will probably – attest to uh, being sick and tired of asking or answering questions about me in Canada. But the reality is, is we don't know exactly what the IRB qualification or what the Olympic qualifications um, process is going to be. But then there are some that have been, you know, um, pontificated about. But at the end of the day, either you're going to have to do really, really well in the IRB series or you're going to have to beat Canada is, is what everybody expects. How, I mean, and I don't mean to say how, you know, obviously everybody knows the rivalries there. Obviously it sucks to beat Canada, but is there a conversation or do you feel like a plan should be out there to, to not just beat Canada, but beat them, start beating them more consistently? And what is that like when you guys come off the field and another loss to Canada has been put up on the board? Well, I think at the end of the day, we want to beat everyone consistently, right? Because if we can do that, then we're doing our drops. So... Um, I think that's kind of where we stand. Sure, and that's the answer I get from from Alex Bagley too. And maybe it's just me coming from too much of a fan perspective. Well, but look, I think I think there's always going to be a plan, right, Pat? I think at the end of the day, I think the board wants us to do what we need to do, which is be Canada consistently. I think not only in sevens but in fifteens too. Um, I think they want it to happen with the men's and the women's programs. That's what we want to do. There are, you know, there are rivals. Um, and then as far as a plan, I mean, you can't specifically in sevens because you play so many different teams you know over the course of the season it's hard to have a specific plan just to beat those guys you know we want to be consistent we want to be playing well and doing well you know i mean i think it was dubai this this past year i mean we beat canada pretty handedly you know um in this past season and then sort of you know faltered throughout the season you know sort of ups and downs with them and you know so there's there's we know we can do it we're up to the challenge it's just you know, we, we need to do it more consistently, exactly like you said, you know, and I think that's that's what we want to do. But as players and I think as, as coaches and then as the management, it's there's no specific plan for Canada. It's a specific plan overall, you know. Let's be consistent in what we do. And, you know, let's let's find ourselves in quarterfinals at every tournament versus, you know, mucking it about in sort of the bottom bit. Sure. I'll, I'll add on to it um... – well, I guess it has nothing to do with Canada, but we were talking about the coaching situation. And uh, he's close to Canada, relatively close to Canada. Uh, yeah. we, we're all just guessing about um, who the next coach may or may not be. And there have been some some guesses out there that we publish. Other people are just, you know, rumors or whatever. But yeah. um, a couple of those guys that people are throwing into the name are, are, are Waseli Sarevi and, and Ben Gollings, your co-employees, your guys you work with. Um, yeah. What what. You know, just give me a, a quick little synopsis about what would it be like to to play for a Waseli or or a Ben? Should those things happen? Well, I, I mean, I played with them and I played, you know, in amongst them on the Serevi selects, and they're both great guys, unbelievably knowledgeable with the game. Um, and honestly, I mean, who knows who's going to be the new new coach? You know, I think at the end of the day. Um, for all of us, we just want someone that's going to come in and help this program get better. You know, I think uh, Alex took it and took it to a better place than it was before. Um, and the hope is that whoever comes in next, you know, helps us take that next step to wherever we need to go. Um, so as a whole, I think that's, that's what the program's looking for. So, you know, if, uh, you know, if they, they put their name in the hat, that's fantastic. And, you know, if they get the job, you know, we'll all put our heads down and, and work with them because, you know, for them to be successful, we've got to be successful and that's just the way it goes. So, you know, we want to be successful regardless of what's going on. And, you know, that benefits both the players and whoever the coaches. You know, 
Who chooses the coach and how does it get chosen? Uh, I don't know the specifics. Any player input, leadership would, group? Oh, uh, yes. I mean, absolutely. Uh, Nigel's, you know, reached out to a lot of the guys and has obviously been close to the program and, you know, sort of been around us. So he's definitely reached out to a lot of the guys and get their, got their thoughts and, you know, sort of uh, opinions on everything. And um, I'm pretty sure he, he weighs that with uh, a couple of other people and definitely, uh, you know, has to do something with the board, you know, and checks in with the board and double checks with what their thoughts are. So I, I, there's definitely a process. I think obviously, as you touched on earlier, um, the, this process is obviously different to the process we faced uh, when we had the last change because that was, you know, in the middle of the series, things needed to happen when they happened. And, uh, it, it, you know, things just happened a little bit quicker, you know. Um, so this one's obviously, you know, there's, there's a little bit more um, time and a little bit more, that can be done uh, before, you know, sort of the the name is read out. So uh, we'll wait and see what happens. When do you anticipate it to happen? I really, I'm not quite sure. I would assume the players uh, return back to camp on July 29th. So I would assume it's going to happen before then. Yeah, well, they've they've completed interviews as far as I know. So I think it's going to be soon. Not um, to mention, in talking to Alex, as me and Alex, talking to Alex Magleby, me and Alex Goff have learned, you know, this has been on his mind for some time, and Nigel Melville has known it's either a reality or possibility that this was going to happen for a long time. So, you'd ex- you should expect that it should happen before that, and, and that maybe they're getting close to putting ink on paper. There should be a plan in place. Um, it, 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 new coach shows up, Matt, and um, he, the thing is, he's got players installed already. He's got players. Uh, we're not expecting him to go and find a whole new group of players. But he's probably going to audition one or two or three or four, I don't know, uh, for professional uh, contracts for spots down in Chula Vista. Um, What I would ask you about that really is more, you've seen a lot of young guys come in. You've seen guys come in from college ranks, from club rugby. You've seen guys come in who don't know anything about rugby. Carlin Isles. Um, do you, how is that going? And, and, and especially on the crossover thing, do you think Carlin and his ability to, I mean, he learned, he did well to learn rugby is pretty quickly and learn what he could do on a rugby field quickly enough. Do you think that is a rarity or do you think that we're going to see more and more athletes from the Olympic training center, try to get on the, uh, on the sevens team and, and try to get up to speed and, you know, get in the Olympics that way. Um, look, I don't, I don't think it's ever going to be a rarity living in America, right? Everyone wants a crossover athlete. There are the athletes out there. So it's, it's going to continue to happen. I don't think that's going to go away. Um, I think, you know, what you're going to have with the new coaches, he's basically, you know, he's going to have an opportunity, as I say, depending on when things get announced, he's going to have the opportunity to, you know, sort of go to nationals and sort of get around the country a little bit and have a look at what's out there. Um, I think then he's also obviously going to have the opportunity to um, go with the guys. They were all obviously headed to uh, Tookenham, middle of August, to go play in their club championships. So he'll have the opportunity to go out there and sort of, you know, watch that, see that, and sort of get a, a look and a feel for that. I'm sure he's going to go over a bunch of film and tape and sort of just get a perspective of where things are at. Um, and then obviously, you know, checking with Nigel where contracts sit right now and who has contracts who doesn't have contracts who's signed who's coming back who's not you know all those sorts of things um and depending on who the coach is you know if it's a local coach he might he might have some sort of thoughts on you know someone that he's worked with previously or someone that's sort of been around the program that just never as far as he's concerned got got his shot you know so you might see that happening um you know i I would assume the coach is just going to do a full assessment and then you know sort of work it the way that he wants to work it but um you know, it's a great environment for new guys to come in. I think you've seen that with Colin. He's sort of the first real crossover that's come in since we've been contracted. And I think that's why you've seen that sort of the opportunity that he's got to sort of learn as quickly as he has learned. You know, I think unfortunately for the other guys, because we weren't as consistent, um, it was hard for them to sort of, uh, you know, be with sort of the team for three weeks, go on the tour and then sort of disappear and, you know, be back at club rugby trying to figure it out, you know. Um, so that that's never going to go away. And I think it's still definitely an opportunity. But I think it's still sort of a ways before we find, you know, a real sort of a pathway from, you know, sort of other athletes or other sports into a, a full crossover and, and eventually, you know, a full-blown rugby star. 
Uh, I've got two more questions for you, and I'll throw them to you at the same time that are USA 7's national team-based. But I'd be remiss if at some point in time before we all get done here that I did ask you a couple questions about your your coaching capacity in college. One is I should have thrown his name in earlier when we were talking about um, Cerevi and and Gollings. James Walker is another guy that a lot of people are talking about. You've worked with him through Tiger and Belmont. Um, Does James have the chops to coach uh, international rugby, and and what, what would he be like as a coach? I think that's, you know, that's on James. I think, you know, if he got the opportunity, I think he would definitely say yes to it and, and would take it on. Um, I wouldn't see why he wouldn't. You know, he's obviously uh, been around Belmont and done some good stuff with Belmont. So, um, you know, uh, I think, you know, for him, it's for every coach, you know, it's the series is not what you think it is. I'll say that, number one. And um, that level is a ways from what you experience at Nationals. So, for any coach uh, that hasn't been around it or hasn't been involved in it, um, it's 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 a it's a pretty pretty big gorge to cross. Um, so I think uh, you know whoever comes in, they've really got to lean on the people that have been there and have have sort of had that exposure, and uh, and and find their feet and then and then you know see if they're comfortable and go from there. The last uh, USA Sevens based question, your question for me is. The contracts. I mean, these aren't three-year, five-year NFL contracts. These are – a lot of them have been six-month, eight-month, less than that, a year um, contracts. How much are guys talking about – and, I mean, I can I can only relate as, you know, a young professional in my own right that if someone was telling me I'll hire you but only for six months, I'd be sweating about two months into that contract what I'm going to do if something doesn't happen. So how much do talks about the contracts or length of contract – affect the conversation that you guys have and do you think it would be beneficial if some of the contracts were maybe longer term than what they've been well i think you know at the end of the day our contracts you know are what they are right now and i think guys should just be grateful for that and if we're performing you know it's it's really nothing to worry about um i think but you know on that you know going back to what i spoke about the more we can create consistency example giving guys year 18 months two-year contracts the, the more peace of mind you've got you know and now you've got guys that are they're there they're stable they know what they're doing and you know at the end of the day any at any point during that people can go their separate ways but essentially if you if you can if we can start moving towards that i think that that's ultimately at the end of the day is going to really help everyone so i think that's something that you know needs to be discussed and i think it it probably has been discussed um but you know for myself i haven't really got into too much of the contracts talks so it's uh it's hard for me to really say the other big huge piece of news we've kind of gotten this summer was the varsity cup you know it's going to get a lot more exposure and uh, it's joined with our parent company but as a as a coach of a club that is on the fringe of should they be varsity cup or should they not on the fringe of CRC or or not CRC, obviously San Diego state's been in the CRC before. What, Mm -hmm. how do you look at this? I mean, how do you, when you heard the varsity cup news, what were the things that went through your head and, and and how do you uh, look at some of those teams that state used to play against playing on a different stage? And how do you, how do you look at that kind of division that's happened? Well, I think from my perspective, you know, I, I wish I could spend more time with San Diego State. Um, ideally, I wish I was in a role, you know, similar to like a guy like Dan Payne, you know, where I could really devote myself to San Diego State because I think um, the guys that are there are, are pretty phenomenal. And uh, given half the opportunity, they'll do some really, really special things. Um, but obviously with playing and things like that, I haven't really been able to. Um, but, you know, a lot of it too is unfortunately, you know, all these changes that happen and, you know, for teams like us, we don't always get a seat at the table, you know, we don't always get the opportunity to sort of really have a say or, you know, um, really have an opinion or, you know, really have any say in the matter. So, you know, whatever happens, we've just got to accept it and kind of move along with it, you know, and, and that's, that's the way it goes. And, you know, that's just where sort of uh, college rugby is at this point. And, um, you know, at some point, you know, we're all going to be afforded great opportunities, but right now that's, you know, it's the way it's going. I think it's, it's great that there is growth. Um, do I think there's there's transparency and good sort of uh, conversation between all groups? Probably not. Um, but that's you know that's just uh, the way things are right now. If you ha- all things being equal, if someone had called you and said, "Hey, do you want to come play uh, in this tournament?" We've got everybody's making decisions. Do, do we go to our 15s playoffs that we qualified for? Do we try to go to USA Sevens Nationals? Um, and you have to make your decisions almost probably before the season starts on what you want to attempt to do and what you don't want to attempt to do. But if someone gave you the opportunity to compete in the varsity cup, do you think it's something that the uh, Aztecs would be interested in? 
Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we we believe we can compete with the best of the best, and so if that's if that's a platform that we have to, you know, sort of play them on, then yeah, absolutely. But I think you know, from our standpoint, we, you know, just uh, for me personally, just as a as a spectator and an, and an avid lover of rugby, um, I just don't think you know people should be put in the sort of situation that they have to make those choices. You know, I think we all should be. Uh, able to do the things that we need to do but also you know be eligible to do them and uh i think you know as i said i haven't had enough time to really stick my head in the college game and, and understand everything and understand all the politics and the groups and how it all works um and hopefully at some point i will you know and have a, a little bit more of a a sort of knowledgeable answer for you but right now I, I just don't to be honest i really really don't so it's hard for me to say you know and i just think there's a lot of people you know pulling in different directions and and that's just what you have poly meaning many ticks meaning blood sucking creatures and that is the death knell of usa rugby and why we really struggle to go anywhere that said let's talk about people who don't struggle to go anywhere the rugby championship who do you like that's a hard one, to be honest. Uh, there's a lot. I mean, I've really, to you know, I, I'm obviously a huge fan of the way the New Zealanders play the game, as I'm sure most of the world is. Um, but I've actually been really fascinated with the way the Cheetahs have played this year. You know, they've always just been a side that has done all right. They've had some good, you know, some good guys, and they'll have a good game here and there. But they've just been playing really, really attractive rugby and really good rugby. Um, so, you know, I enjoy them. I enjoy watching them, um, you know, but, you know, the Crusaders have obviously come on really, really strong towards the end. Um, but, you know, I think, I think you know, the Chiefs are really, to be honest with you, are, uh, it's a tough one. It's a really, really tough one. I mean, I'd, I'd love to see something, you know, I'd like to see something different. So, you know, if it was a, I don't know, a Chiefs, I mean, sorry, not Chiefs. So Cheetahs, someone final. I think. Ah, that was, sorry. That was... I, I, it's funny that we were talking about Super Rugby. Yeah, I was talking about the. Uh, I was actually talking about the Rugby Championship, the Australia, South Africa, New Zealand. Uh, oh, okay. You know. But I'm cool. I, I actually like hearing. What do you What do you want to see in that? In yeah, the rugby no, so, so that's so that's what I mean. I mean, I, I think the I think the Cheetahs have just played really attractive rugby. Um, as far as the, you know, sort of the, the, the quad nations that we've got, um, I, I'm interested to see how, you know, sort of uh, Argentina do again this year um, based on what they did last year. Um, I think that's going to be really, really interesting to see. Um, I think just purely based on form right now, if you've looked at the, the games that have happened, I think New Zealand looked the strongest out of the three. Um but you know, at the end of the day, it's it's, it's you know it's it's a tough one with you know home and away games and and just a lot of games, you know. So um, it's it's going to be interesting to watch. I think unfortunately, the the big thing that I was looking for over the summer was definitely the the British and Irish Lions. Um, I enjoyed that series a lot, but I think it also showed that uh, Australia right now are struggling. Um, but uh, you know, who knows what uh, Ewan McKenzie can do? You know, maybe he can turn them around and you know create something like he did with the Reds. So um I, you know I think it's a pretty exciting time, you know. So it it it'll be it'll be a it'll be good rugby to watch. Let's put it this way. It'll give me something to do uh you know two in the morning. Final question in predictions domestically uh US 7's club championships coming up. I mean, we don't know who's there, but uh Matt have you is there anybody that you think uh has a good shot? Uh you know at the end of the day I I would love the the Aztecs to do well, obviously, because uh, uh, helped sort of mm-hmm. get that that program off the ground. Uh, I think they've looked, you know, pretty decent this summer. Uh, but honestly, I mean, it's really hard to say because you just don't know what's going on on the other side of the world. You know, you, you know, you can read all the write-ups and, and chat to all your mates, but you really don't know, you know. Um, and as as usual, what always happens at nationals, you know, it's one of those things where some some teams show up and some teams don't. You know, it's as simple as that. You know, so. Um, It'll be interesting. I mean, it's a it's a great stage for for younger guys to perform and and for guys to sort of uh, put their hand up and say they want to be a part of that next level. And you know, that's 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 exciting. So. Um, and like we were talking uh, sort of offline before, it's also a stage for coaches to perhaps step up and and show what they're at least put themselves on the radar. Yeah, no, I th- I think so. I mean, I think you know you can definitely you, know, you can look around, but I I think it's more to. It's more an opportunity to look at coaches and say, okay, who do we want to look at to to take and develop? Um, because as mentioned, I mean, you know, a, a summer sevens is what, you know, maybe 
eight or nine weeks worth, you know, so it's, it's not a lot, you know, that you get out as far as experience wise. And, and as I mentioned, nationals is, is still really, really uh, way below par as far as what, what that next jump is. But, you know, as we've talked about, I think they, you know, as much as we talk about sort of these um, development academies that we're developing all over, um, you know, within that, there needs to be the development of coach, you know, of the coaches. And, and if we can find that, um, you know, I think that that's going to be important. We want, we want depth in players, but we also want depth in coaches. So when these sorts of changes come up, uh, it's, it's an easier transition. Excellent. Well, I think that'll do it for us. And Matt Hawkins, we really appreciate you taking the time, especially on a busy day when uh, the Cerevi camp is getting started and uh, the uh, fire alarm is going off in your hotel and everything else uh, is going on. We appreciate the time. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll enjoy the rest of uh, what you've got left of your weekend and have a great week. And uh, I'm sure we'll see each other soon. Thanks, Sir. Matt. Cheers. Cheers, gents. Thanks, Matt. So that's going to do it for us on Rugby Matrix America. Don't forget to go to RugbyMag.com for all your news. Uh, don't forget to check out the YouTube channel, Rugby Magazine, and also Rugby Magazine on your electronic reader or as a premier subscriber on RugbyMag.com. This is Alex Goff for Pat Clifton and Bruce McLean saying thank you for listening to Rugby Matrix America.